I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verse, verses 4 through 5. Matthew 5, verses 4 through 5. And let me read it again for you. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach us how to be doers of the word, not just hearers, Lord. God, I'm, Jesus, I just pray today, Lord God, that we would just not hear it. Lord, we would walk away and not do anything about it, Lord. But God, that we would put into practice every sermon we hear, God. Touch our hearts today, Lord God. Change us, Lord. And God, help us to walk in humility. Help us to know what it really means to be meek. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It was dark. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us that Jesus cries out to God, his Father. And he says, Father God. If there's any way, God, that this cup may pass from me, please, God. And he pours out his heart, and the Bible says that he is so grieved because, you know, Jesus understands what it is to grieve with people. He understands when he said, blessed are those who mourn. He understands how to grieve, and, and he's in a moment of grieving. He's got to die to himself humanly and he cries out to God he says God Lord if there's any other way because he can see he understands that he the Lord of glory the Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end the one who created the stars and the planets he is going to allow himself to be beaten he is going to allow himself to be spit upon and mocked he is going to allow himself to be hung on a cross and he is going to allow himself to be utterly rejected by mankind and he's going to allow himself to go through a period of time where he's going to express meekness and humility in a way that the world has never seen will never see again and so he cries out to his father and says father please let this cup pass me nevertheless father not my will your will be done then he gets up and he tells his disciples pray pray that you don't enter into temptation and then after that, the Bible says that there was an, a, a detachment of military soldiers that come and Judas is leading the way. This is the same guy that Jesus ate with. This was the same guy that Jesus poured his life into. Judas was one of the disciples in which Jesus hugged, which Jesus had meals with and spent time with and, and gave him everything that he had within himself. And now Judas comes and he gives him a kiss. And the Bible says at that very moment, Peter, 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 the one who loved Jesus, he takes a sword, as the Bible says, and Peter, whoosh, he cuts the ear off of the servant. Jesus says, there's no way that they're going to take my servant, my master, my Lord. And the Bible says that Jesus in, hum in humility and meekness, he picks up the ear from the ground and he places it on the servant's ear, pop, and the servant is healed. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, don't you know, this is my time of humility. This is my time of meekness. And they take Jesus and they bring him before Annas, the high priest. And the Bible says that 
that they question Jesus, but he doesn't open his mouth. And now they take Jesus and they, they bring him before Pilate. And Pilate, he is power hungry. Pilate understands authority. He understands what it is to tell somebody to go and they go and come and they go. Pilate's the one who sentenced people to death. And now he's speaking to Jesus and he says, Jesus, don't you know who I am? I have the power to release you or to sentence you to death. Jesus looks at Pilate and says, you have no power of your own, but it's power that my father has given to you. And then Pilate washes his hands and he passes Jesus off to the soldiers and the soldiers, they, they spit on Jesus. They blindfold him. And they say, prophesy, tell us who it is that hit you. And then they, they take a scourge, they take a whip, and they, they beat him, they beat him, they beat him, they beat him until the blood gushed out of his back, till all you could see was blood everywhere. And the Bible says that he did not open his mouth, but he, he controlled himself. And then the Bible says that they took him and they, they nailed him to the cross they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and he did not speak a word think about it for a moment this is the Lord of glory this is the king of kings this is the one who created the heavens and the earth the alpha and omega the God the God the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and by him and through him and for him all things are created and all things are held together by Jesus and now he's on the cross and it wasn't the Jews that put him on the cross and it wasn't the Romans that put him on the cross it was his meekness it was his humility Humility. It was his love for you and I that made him go to the cross and kept him on that cross. And it's in this context that I want to talk to you about the third beatitude. Blessed, happy, fulfilled, content are those who are meek for they shall inherit the land. Now, I don't know about you, but reading the Beatitudes and studying about the Beatitudes has been such a journey for me. Man, I've read it a hundred times. And every time I read the Beatitudes, I get a new revelation of something deeper because God is so deep. His word is so deep. And, and this is Jesus' greatest sermon, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached known to mankind is found in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I want you to write this down. This is so important. I want you to write this down so that you can go back to your small group, your one group, and discuss this. But we've got to really start with the true definition of what the Beatitudes really mean. We've got to look at each beatitude and understand what they truly mean by definition. And so Jesus is actually saying, write this down if you missed it the first week. Jesus is saying, happy is the man who is totally dependent on God. Happy is the man who knows that they are nothing. Happy is the woman who knows that they are nothing without God. Absolutely nothing without God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You cannot possess God's kingdom in your life. 
You cannot possess the qualities of God in your life. You cannot receive eternal life. You cannot receive anything from God until you come to him and recognize that you're nothing without him. Absolutely nothing without him. And as a result of that, you come humbly before God. And the Bible says that God unlocks the kingdom to you. And you then become a recipient of all of God's blessings in your life. Only because you come in humility. Beatitude number one. And last week, I want to tell you, Pastor Henry did a phenomenal job in talking about grieving. And so many of us were moved when we, we, we understand that God understands our mourning. He understands that we grieve. And he grieves with us as Jesus wept when he was at the, the tomb of Lazarus. Why? Because he could feel we have a high priest that can sympathize with our mourning and our grief. And it's so important to go through the process of grieving in our life. But I actually want to dig a little deeper today because if we're only simply in touch with our emotions, we miss the whole point. Because when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he wasn't actually talking about just mourning our losses in our life. He was actually giving us a definition of what it really means to be broken and understanding of our sinfulness in our life. That when Jesus said, blessed are the, those that mourn, what he was actually saying is, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, happy is the person who understands their utter wretchedness, their utter hopelessness, that they are sinful, and without the cross of Jesus Christ, they could never have a relationship with Jesus. They could never have a relationship with God. And so blessed are those who mourn actually means blessed is the person who understands how sinful they are how lost they are without God. And as a result of that, they mourn, they grieve over their spiritual condition. And so we start with beatitude number one. Blessed, happy is the person who knows that nothing without God. And then blessed is the person who recognizes that their salvation only comes from God. That the, the only way that they could ever get to heaven, the only way that they could ever get righteous, the only way that they could ever be forgiven, the only way that they can have eternal life is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And therefore, when they embrace their brokenness, when they embrace their spiritual poverty, when they recognize that they're utterly sinful in themselves, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and when we are in our sinful state, we are enemies of God but because we are broken because we're nothing without God and we understand our spiritual condition we come humbly to God and when we come humbly to God he comforts us with the understanding but I paid it all on the cross therefore I can run to the cross and find the comfort of God knowing that God provided it for me come on somebody aren't you glad that God provided salvation for you and therefore we mourn we weep we mourn over our spiritual condition. We even mourn over our brokenness. The reason why we mourn at the loss of people in our life is because, because of sin. Sin entered into the world, and as a result of that, death passed unto all people. We cry for those that have died before us because they are under the fall of man. And we're dysfunctional now. But you see, you, you, you build from one beatitude to the next. And so blessed are the poor in spirit. They're nothing without God. 
Blessed are those who recognize their utter wretchedness, their sinfulness without God. Christ provides a way for us to have eternal life. And beatitude number three, as a result of that, we walk in meekness. We walk in humility. Now we go from realizing we're nothing, we realize our sinfulness, and now we are stricken with humility that we understand it's not me. I, I can't do anything by myself. There's no way in the world that I can even get myself out of bed each morning. It is God that gives me everything I need. I'm nothing without him, and he supplies it for me on a daily basis. And not only that, but he's also given me eternal life as a free gift. And as a result of that, I can never be proud. I need to walk in humility. I can't look at other people and see that their sin sin is great, uh, greater than my sin. Why? Because I'm humbled. I'm like that man who says, oh, God, Lord, look at me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need my Savior to come and forgive me of my sins. Therefore, I will judge no other man. I walk in gentleness and meekness. I walk in humility. I would never judge another person. I would never dare look upon another person and say, you're a sinner, lest I would see the brokenness in my own life first. And so the truth is, meekness is so powerful because it becomes an attribute by which we walk in our life humbly before God. We're broken before God. We recognize, God, you've been so good to me. God, I'm nothing and you died for me. God, you gave it all to me, Lord God. And I walk in gratitude. How many of you today are so grateful for a salvation that God gave you even though you don't deserve it? Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a clap off. Come on, say, thank you, Lord. Lord, you've been so good to us, God. We didn't deserve it, God. Lord, we don't deserve eternal life, God. Lord, we don't deserve that you would come into our life and you would have a relationship with us, oh God. You're, you're the God of the universe, God. You're a great God. You're a holy, holy, holy God. And you have come to dwell with man, God. Lord, who are, who are we, Lord God, that you should love us so much, Lord? We are humbled in your sight, Lord. And so what is meekness? Well, we look at the example of Jesus and we learn what it truly means to be meek. Now, well, when we think about meekness, we instantly think about weakness. We actually think that to be weak is also to be meek, and to be meek is to be weak. And the, and the truth is, nobody wants to be meek. You know, in fact, the truth is, we, we teach our children how to be strong, don't we? We, we, teach our, we teach our children how to be assertive, how to be bold, how to be fearless. We teach them to take the bull by the horn. We teach them to take the world by storm. We teach them that if they want something, they take it for themselves to be confident. And as a result of that, we confuse meekness with weakness. You know, we teach our kids, you know, on the playground, if, if somebody punches you, you punch them back. You know, don't let anybody take advantage of you. Don't, take, don't let anybody take, you know, you for granted. But, but, but you assert yourself. Why? Because we love our kids. And we don't ever want our kids to be mistreated. In fact, we don't like to teach our kids. Look, on the playground, if you're going to be a Christian, if they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. No, no, no. We say don't turn the other cheek. And if you're going to turn the other cheek, you got two cheeks. After that, give it to them. 
Because we want, we, 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 are, we believe that we're actually protecting our kids by teaching them how to be aggressive, teaching them how to be assertive. And you know, the truth is God, he does want us to be strong in the Lord. And God wants us to be bold in our faith. And God wants, to, wants us to know who we are. We are the children of the king. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need to be strong spiritually in our life. We need to be so strong in our life that we'll never let a devil or a demon ever convince us that, that we're not a child of God. We need to be so strong in our life that we can stand up and say, yes, Lord, thank you, God, that you saved me, you redeemed me. But there are times in which God calls us to, to be meek and humble. Why? Because when we're meek and humble, we know who we are. And at the same time, we know how to give it to God and trust God for the outcome of every situation in our life. Come on, somebody. So, so what does it really mean to be meek? What does it mean to walk in, in meekness? Jesus tells his disciples, happy is the person who walks in humility. Happy is the person who walks in gentleness and meekness, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, now the word earth in the Greek is actually the same word for land. And that's really important. In Spanish, it's the same word as well, right? Terra. Hmm? I, I rolled my R's really good. Let's try that together. Terra. Oh, wow, that was bad. That was like a bad Chinese movie. Terra. Right? Earth, land. And so the truth is, when, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land... He was actually looking at Psalms 37, and I, I actually want you to turn to it and put your finger there. Psalms 37. Eight times in Psalms 37, you will see that David said, the meek will inherit the land. Or eight times he will say, if you do the right thing, if you trust God, if you obey God, if you wait on God, if you don't take matters into your own hand, if you trust in God's timing, if you trust in God's will for your life, if you don't lash out, if you're controlled by the Spirit of God, even when the wicked take advantage of you, you will ultimately inherit the land. Now, inheritance was a big thing. And think about it. Think about the upside-down life. The Jews were taught that if they go in and possess the land, it's theirs. In fact, Moses delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt, and now they're on the doorstep of the promised land, and God says to them, I want you to go in and possess the land. I want you to go in, and I want you to conquer the giants in the land. Now, no one thing. God was the one who actually gave them the strength to do it. It wasn't their sword. It was the power of God in their life. But see, they had gotten it mixed up. They, they mixed up meekness for weakness. And, and so now they believed that when they had to get something, they had to take it for themselves. There was a group of Jews. What they were called the zealots. And the zealots believed that they had to take it for themselves. And Jesus actually chooses his disciple. And several of his disciples were zealots. So when Jesus told them, listen, you have to be meek, you have to be gentle, and if you're meek and gentle, you will inherit the earth, you will inherit the land. Notice he said inherit. It'll be given to you by God, right? He said if you, if you have strength under control and you wait for God's timing, God will give you the land. But now they're actually sitting under the Roman, the Roman Empire, and the Romans were horrific. They they were brutal, man. 
The Romans would abuse the Jews. The Romans saw a Jew on the street and they would say, you carry my stuff. You carry it as far as I want you to carry it. The Romans would taunt the Jews. They, the Romans called them dogs. They were, they were, they were nothing. And the Romans would abuse them. And now Jesus sits on a mountain and says to them, listen, if you're meek and you're gentle and you wait on God's timing for everything, you will inherit the land. And you could see the zealots going, no, we got to take it ourselves. We've got to do this ourselves. We've got to overcome the Romans. And now Jesus comes on the scene and they believe that he's going to overthrow the Romans. And instead of that, he allows the Romans to spit at him, mock him, beat him. Could you imagine for a moment what Peter's thinking? Could you imagine for a moment what his disciples are thinking? I thought that Jesus was strong. I thought that Jesus was a miracle worker. I thought that Jesus could raise the dead. I thought he was the Messiah and the Messiah was going to come to overthrow the Romans. And now Jesus is standing there and his disciples are saying, why don't you do anything? Jesus, they're beating you. Jesus, they're mocking you and they're mocking your God. And he said nothing. So what is meekness? Well, the definition of meekness is not weakness. But truly meekness is power, authority, incredible strength under control. And so Jesus was actually the Lord of the universe who had all this power and all of this authority at his disposal. And at one moment, he could have called angels down, legion of angels down, and he could have been delivered from the cross. It wasn't the Jews that held him to the cross. It wasn't the Romans that held him to the cross. It was our sin that held Jesus to the cross. And Jesus, he stayed on that cross because it was the ultimate act of gentleness and meekness, power under control. Now, in the Greek, the word for meekness or to be meek or gentle is pros. And that word comes from this understanding of a wild horse, a very powerful stallion. that has all this power and all this energy and all this ability, but he's wild and he needs a horse tamer to come and, and tame the horse. So the horse tame, tamer comes and he gets a lasso and he ropes the horse and the horse is horse tamer tames the horse and the horse never loses his power he never loses his ability to be strong but now the horse is tamed now the horse owner the lord of the horse now takes all that power and all that energy and all of its instincts and it tames the horse so that now that horse can be used for good because the tamer knows if if he doesn't tame that horse that horse is going to run and it's going to run into the wilderness it's going to run into the desert and it's going to die 
but under the control of the master, the master now can feed, take care of the horse, and tell the horse, now it's time to run. Run! And the horse runs, and the horse is victorious, because the horse now has all that power under control. And the truth of the matter is, is that I see so many Christians, it breaks my heart. I see so many young men, so many young ladies, they get saved and they want to run. They just want to run, man. They, they want to do everything. They want to go everywhere. And, and sometimes they're like a wild stallion. They don't have any tameness inside of them. I remember when I was 19 years old, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I, was, I grew up in this church. And by the way, I am 45 years old. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> but I was 19 years old. And I had been called into the ministry when I was a kid. My mother, my mother used to pray over me when she was pregnant. She said, this is my, this is my pastor. This, is my, this, this guy's going to be in the ministry. She knew. She knew it. Before I was even born, she began to prophesy and speak over me in her womb. This is my pastor. Wow. And I grew up in a, in a very dysfunctional situation in my home. My father died. And, but man, there was, there was so much promise that God had instilled in me and so much potential and gave me the gifts that God gave me. And let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right now. There's nothing that I possess and nothing that I do and nothing that I ever, ever attained to that I did not receive from God himself. Every sermon, everything that God has done through me has been a gift from God. I can't take any of the credit. I can't take any of the glory. Why? Because I'm just a jaw of clay. I'm just a lump of clay. And God is the potter. And he does whatever he wants with my life. Come on, somebody. But I was, I was a teenager. And man, I was a wild, wild teenager with all these gifts and all these abilities and all the calling of God on my life. And I'll never forget, I came to church in July. And man, I was a broken man because I had a car accident. And I was sitting right here. I used to have to sit right up front. Even though I was in the club the night before my mama, she made me sit right up front. I had to sit right here. Right here. This is where I was. And the preacher gave the message. And I, I just came way too close to death that day. And I said, you know what? I need to give my life to God. Man, I had my bright red pants on. I, I'm a, I've always been colorful. I had bright red pants on. I had a white shirt on with a, with a red, fiery red tie on with my Capizio Guido shoes. If you're not Italian, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. And I was badness, man. I was sitting up front, man. And the pastor gave the message, and I got out, I got out of my seat, and I crawled to the altar, man. And I said, God, God, if you want to use me, God, Lord, if, if you want to use me, Lord, I'm available, I'm open. And the Lord said, if, I, if I'm going to use you, then I need to take you, you wild stallion that you are, and I need, to, I need to control that which you have inside of you in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to my name because I've given you all the gifts and all the abilities, but man, you're using it for yourself. But if you surrender it to my glory, if you surrender it to my honor, I'll take you and I'll use you in ways that'll blow your mind hallelujah and I want you to know I'm thankful today that God helps me to walk in his spirit so that I can be spirit controlled talents and abilities and all that God gives us it's all for the glory of God somebody say amen glory to God so Jesus is happy 
Truly fulfilled, truly content is the person who learns how to control all of his or her passions, all of her strengths and instincts and urges and feelings and impulses, all for the glory of God's kingdom. Wow. Jesus is actually saying to you and I, if you really want to be happy, if you really want to be content in life, then you really need to learn how to harness, tame, control, train, couple, challenge, channel, employ, and utilize all of your potential, all of your passions, all of your gifts, all of your abilities, all of your strengths, all of your instincts. Bring it all under the Lordship of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. See, God had said to the people of Israel that you're to go in and possess the land, the promised land. And for the people of Israel, it was land. That's what it was, land. For us as Christians, the promised land is allowing God to do such a great work in our life so that God can bless us. He can bless us in ways that will blow our minds. You see, I believe in a God that wants to prosper us. I believe in a God that wants to heal us. I believe that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And the promised land for the Christian is walking in the divine promises of God, in divine, in divine positions and, 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 and possibilities and potential that God has in our life. That's the promised land. But we'll never enjoy the promised land until we recognize that God first has to be Lord over every area of our life. Listen to me. Meekness is a lordship issue. I want you to write that down. Meekness is a lordship issue. I want you to write that down and discuss that in your groups. What did Pastor Steve mean by meekness is a lordship issue? Meekness is a lordship issue because God has already put a seed of greatness inside of you. Meekness is a lordship issue because everything that God has is available to you through his kingdom and God has blessed you in such a great way but until you decide that Jesus is Lord of your life until you come under the lordship of Jesus you will be a wild stallion and you will be restless and you will try to fulfill your needs and your wants and your desires for your own glory but when you bring it all under to the lordship of Jesus Christ then you bring his yoke under you and then God begins to direct your path and you become something that the world has never seen before a man or a woman who is controlled by the spirit of the living God you know Jesus said if you're weary and tired, all you that are weary and tired, and why do we get weary and tired? Because we're wild stallions. Oh, I gotta, I gotta do this and I've gotta accomplish this. And we do so much of it out of anxiety. We do so much of it, of it out of fear and insecurity or pride, whatever it is. But I've got I've to attain. I've got to get a better job. I've got to work harder. I've got to let people see that I'm so great. And as a result of that, we are so weary and tired. And Jesus said, if you want to find rest for your soul, then you've got to take my yoke upon you so that you would know what it really means to be at rest in your spirit. Why? Because I'm lowly, I'm meek, and I'm gentle. And if you learn from me you'll have rest in your soul so what's a yoke and it's a it's an important thing for us to understand a yoke was something that they would put on oxen strong mighty powerful oxen an oxen could kill you 
An oxen could kill me. We're no match for an oxen. They're strong animals. But if you take a yoke and you put a yoke on an oxen, listen, you want to see it? Go to Pennsylvania. You'll see it. You put a yoke on oxen, all of a sudden now that oxen becomes a tool in the master's hand to produce great life. That oxen begins to turn up the soil. He's used to begin to turn up the soil to plant seeds for harvest. And there's a seed inside of you. There's a great seed of greatness on the inside. And God wants you to see harvest in your life. He wants you to be blessed. He wants God to do, wants to do a great work through your life. But you got to take his yoke upon you. And when you take his yoke upon you, power under control. And you turn the reins over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins to use you as a man of God. He begins to use you as a father to pour into your children so that your children can bring harvest in their life. He begins to use you as your young lady. He begins to use you as your young man. He begins to use all of your abilities and talents, all for the glory of his kingdom. And so meekness is not weakness. It's actually strength under control, under the control of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, my friend, was the ultimate example of meekness and gentleness, power under control. He didn't open his mouth. He waited for the right time. He submitted to his father's authority. He didn't take matters into his own hands, but he committed himself into the father's hands. And Jesus said, if you really want to find rest for your weary soul, if you really want to inherit the kingdom of God and the land, then you've got to allow me to put a yoke on you. So meekness, number one, I want you to write this down, definition. Meekness is not weakness, but meekness is a person who is deeply convinced that every good thing comes from God and we don't have to force it ourselves. It's the difference between inheriting and taking. Oh, I've got to take it! No, we wait for the inheritance. The prodigal son, he wanted to take it for himself and he made a mess of his life instead of waiting on God. And how often do we see people make a mess out of their marriage, make a mess out of their career, make a mess out of their life. Why? Because they want to take it instead of understanding every good gift comes from God. And so if we're willing to wait on God, God will give us what is best for us. You know, Psalms 37, I'm going to give you an assignment. It's long. I think it's like 40-something verses, and I can't read it all. But Psalms 40 or 37 is really the psalm that Jesus is quoting when he's actually talking about being meek. Because in Psalms 37, over and over again, we find this understanding of a meek person and how that meek person operates in his life. And that meek person, number one, learns how, look at me, learns how to wait on God and not take matters into their own hands. And so how, how, does, how is that lived out in our personal life? Well, you're working. And you're working really hard. You're trying to prove to your boss that you're the man. You're trying to prove to the boss that, you know what? You deserve that raise. You deserve that promotion. And guess what happens? Your boss overlooks you and gives that raise or that promotion to someone else. 
I remember when I was in Bible college, my pastor, great friend of mine, still talk to him today. He's my mentor. I'll never forget, he was used by God to take this wild stallion and help me to be harnessed and understand authority and submission to godly authority in my life. And I'll never forget my, my pastor, he said to me, he said, listen, when you graduate from Bible college, I'm going to take you on full time. So I was thinking, okay, I, I'm going to Bible college, and the goal is finish Bible college and then work at the church full time. I, I was married already. I had responsibility. And I was just, I'm going to finish Bible college, and as soon as I finish Bible college, I'm going to start working at the church. I'll never forget when he announced. He said, I've been praying about it. He said, and I decided to hire so-and-so. I thought to myself, wait a minute. I was just promised that position, and it was given to someone else. At that moment, I had a decision to make. Do I run? Am I angry? Am I angry at the pastor? You promised me this position. You told me I was going to get it. I'll fix you. I'll take half the church, and I will start a church somewhere else. Listen, happens all the time. When somebody doesn't want to wait on God, they want to take matters into their own hands. But I'll never forget. Oh, hey, what? A full-time position! The Lord said, you just wait on me. In my time, I'll make all things well. Well, guess what? I'm the pastor of the church now. Ten years, ten years will you submit. Ten years, well, I want to preach. I want to die. No, it's not time for you to do that. It's time for you to learn how to have all those talents and abilities under control, under my lordship. See, so often we want to take matters into our own hands. You've got a marriage, and marriage isn't going so well. And your husband's doing things that you don't like. And you even feel like they're not even godly things. But you know that the Bible says that you are to be submissive to the headship of your family. But man, you want to fix him good and you want to run and you want to do. And you, you just want to just take matters into your own hands. And God says, no, wait. A meek person understands power. He understands authority. He understands what God's doing in his or her life. And they're willing to wait. The second thing a meek person does is, is never defends themselves. They, you don't have to defend yourself. Psalms 37. I want you to come with me for a few, at least a few verses. Psalms 37. David, who is on the run from his own son Absalom. David, the one who has to wait on God. When Saul's trying to take his life, when, when, when David is anointed as king, listen to me, look at me, David is anointed as king. The prophet comes to David and said, you're going to be the next king. And David now has to wait years and years until he becomes a king. And he's being chased by Saul. And while he's being chased by Saul, this wild stallion, this stallion that has all of this potential and ability, even the anointing of God on his life, has to wait in a cave. He's waiting in a cave. 
He writes this in Psalms 37. Don't be afraid. Don't fret because of those who are evil or envious of those who do wrong. A meek person is not a weak person. A meek person is not afraid. They just know their whole life is in the hands of God. They are confident within. They don't have to take matters into their own hands. They don't have to defend themselves. Why? Because they know God has given them a promise. And in God's timing, his vindication will come like the noonday sun. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. A meek person is not a weak person. They just trust God more than anything else, even themselves. They trust God for everything. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't take vindication. Don't try to get back at the other person. He said, trust in the Lord and, and do good. Then you'll dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. A meek person takes delight in God and knows that God will give them the desires of their heart. Oh, God, you've given me this burden. You've given me this desire, God. Lord, what do I do with it? Wait on his timing. Verse 4, but they take delight in the Lord and God gives them the desires of their heart. A meek person never takes matters into their own hands, but commits everything to God. Verse 5, commit your ways to God. A meek person has all this power, has all this anointing in his life, but is willing to commit all of that to God. He says, don't take it into your own hands, but commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Wow. Bam, all of a sudden, God will show you to be a righteous person and your vindication like the noonday sun. Oh, but I, I've got to prove myself. I've, I've got to prove to my husband, my wife, my family. They, they're, they're accusing me of this. No, keep your mouths silent. No, there's, there's times when you have to speak the truth. I get that, but not in defense in revelation but never in defense notice what he says he says your vindication will come like like this god will show that you're righteous a meek person knows how to be still and wait on the lord verse 7 be still before the lord and wait patiently for him verse 10 a little while and the wicked will be no more though you look for them they will not be found the weak will but the look what it says verse 11 but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity a meek person doesn't fret or become jealous over other people that are prospering but they trust in the lord and they do good they delight themselves in the lord they commit their ways to the lord and they trust in god so let me ask you a question today are you a jealous person are you jealous over those people that are maybe prospering more than you're prospering the Bible says that jealousy and anger leads to sin. Are you really trusting in the Lord for everything in your life? Are you really finding your delight in God alone? And have you committed everything to God? A meek person is, is not proud, but he or she knows that in Christ, they can use everything they have to serve other people. As the worship team comes, I, I want you to know that a meek person understands that, that God has their life in his hands. So 
They can wait on God. They don't have to take things for themselves because they're going to inherit the things that God wants them to have. They don't have to defend themselves. But more than all of that, look at me, listen to me, more than all of that, a meek person understands that everything they have comes from God. And the reason why God has given it to them is so that they can serve the king and serve others. Jesus Jesus is the ultimate example of meekness. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord of glory. Jesus is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the mighty God. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Do you understand how powerful, how majestic Jesus is? As the Bible says, in him and through him and by him, all things were created and they're all held together. And Jesus gets off his throne. And he comes to earth. Look at me, listen to me. He comes to earth. He takes on poverty. He was a poor man. He takes on poverty. He takes on humanness. And he does it all for one reason. To die on the cross for your sins. And Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you've got to be a servant. And so the truth of the matter is, is we take all of that which we have and we serve others. The ultimate example of Jesus being a servant. Jesus' disciples, they're in an upper room and they're, they're enjoying the Passover feast. And the disciples can't understand that Jesus lifts up the bread and he lifts up the cup and he says, this is my body that is broken for you. And they can't understand what he's talking about. They don't know that in just a few hours, Jesus is going to be the servant of all. And he's going to allow his body to be mutilated and hung on the cross. And he takes the cup and they can't understand it. Because they celebrated the Passover year after year after year. And the cup didn't mean this guy right here is going to pour out his blood. They were thinking, well, the Lamb of God that was slain was the, the Lamb that was slain and put on the doorpost. But Jesus said, no, no, this is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And guess what his disciples begin to do, Pastor Henry? He says all of that. They don't get it at all. And they start to argue right in front of one another. Well, when Jesus, when he conquers the Romans, I'm going to be sitting right next to Jesus. I could see Peter, uh-uh, dude. I'm the one who really protect, I'm his bodyguard. I'm sitting right next to Jesus. Another one starts to argue, another one starts to argue who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, the Lord of glory, the one who created the heavens and the earth, pulls out his Yankee towel. And he calls his disciple. He calls his disciple. He calls the one that he was over. And he calls his disciple. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, calls his disciple. His disciples didn't have clean feet like Pastor Henry. His disciples didn't go to the manicurist and get a pedicure like Pastor Henry does every week. 
and he takes their sandals off and he begins and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Take it like a man. Men don't cry. No, no. Well, actually, men do cry. You preached on it last week. Cry. And, and the Bible says he could have lorded over them. And yet, instead, he washes his disciples' feet. Dirty, filthy feet. You don't get any lower than that. The truth of the matter is, is that a Jew would never... Put it down, brother. Okay. <laughs> a Jew would never wash another Jew's feet. Foot washing was reserved for Gentiles, dirty Gentiles that were outcasts, that were not accepted by the Jewish people. They were servants the lowest of the lowest. And Jesus takes the lowest person he could find in society and he does the most humbling thing he could ever do. He washes their feet. Power under control. Humility over pride. Gentleness over rage. And he does it all for one reason. As an example to us, if you want to be like Jesus, you must walk in meekness, power under control, trusting God, not taking matters into your own hands, waiting on God, waiting on God for his timing, waiting on God to build you and lift you up before men, waiting on God so that God will show himself forth through your life. That's what it means to be happy. Not trying to do it yourself, but resting in God's will for our life. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, these beatitudes are so deep Lord, these beatitudes are, are so profound, oh God, that we would recognize that we're nothing without you, and that in our spiritual state of rebellion and sin, we are lost. We are separated from God without the cross. And then when we look at the cross, we see a Savior, the God of the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth. When we look at the cross, we see Jesus taking upon himself our sins, our rejection, our grief, our sorrow, our wretchedness, so that we might have eternal life. And as a result of that, God, we walk in humility and meekness, trusting, trusting in your will and in your ways in our life. 
And so if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that if I die today, I go to heaven and I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I have been trusting in my own righteousness. I have been trusting in my own goodness to get me to heaven. But today I realize that there's only one remedy for my wretchedness and that's Jesus dying on the cross and I need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. I am blown away, Pastor Steve, at Jesus' humility for me, his love for me, and I want to reach out today and receive that love in my life. I want you right now to raise your hands and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain if I die today. God bless you, 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 God bless you. All over this place today, say, yes, Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to put your hands down. You say, Pastor Steve, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't walk like a meek man. I'm like a wild stallion. I'm just knocking things down. I'm hurting people all the time. I'm saying things that I shouldn't say because I'm not under the control of the Lordship of Christ. See, a meek person, listen to me. The greatest definition of a meek person is a person that is spirit-controlled, controlled by the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering with people, not judging people. Pastor, I'm judgmental. I'm always passing judgment on other people. Jesus said, watch out. In the same measure that you judge, it'll be measured back to you how can we judge another man that's meekness how do I judge another man when I recognize that I'm nothing without God and I'm utterly sinful and God gave me the cross I walk in humility I walk in meekness I don't judge I embrace I don't judge I love people I serve people because I'm just a servant of the Lord you say pastor Steve I I need to learn that even though I've got all of these talents and abilities and I've got power authority in Christ that I will never use it to boast in myself I will only boast in the cross of Christ I want to be that servant controlled by the Spirit I want to be meek I want to come under the Lordship complete Lordship of Christ today I want you to raise your hand right now and say yes that's me come on raise your hand today yes Lord yes Lord control Lordship of Christ